Hello and welcome to the Crossway Christian Church Podcast. We are a church who wants to practice the way of Jesus together. If we can help you in any way, let us know. And be sure to check out our website at crosswaycc.org. Now let's get back to the podcast. So I was reading in a book called Divine Conspiracy for one of the classes I'm taking. And it starts out by telling the story of a pilot who was flying along parallel to the ground. And they're about to execute a maneuver whereby they are going to go from flying parallel to the ground to straight up into the air instantaneously. And so as they're flying along, they execute the maneuver and then immediately slam into the ground with the smoke and the fire billowing the direction they intended to go in. And what happened was that this plane had been flying upside down all along. The thing is, like the, the, the pilot had no idea that they were upside down. They had no idea that they were flying parallel to the ground. But they were inverted. I was talking to a friend of mine named Mark, and he was a pilot. And I was like, hey, Mark, you know, is this even possible? Because this seems like wildly improbable. How could someone be flying upside down and not knowing it? And he's like, oh, Jake, you'd have no idea. It happens constantly. It happens in the clouds. It happens if you're like flying over water. And he gave me this, this article about all these different times and ways that someone can, can be, not know they're flying upside down. It's called spatial disorientation. And you have no idea how you are oriented in space. And I say that because I think that's a picture of what this series is like. You are know, doing these unmasking sins series. And I don't know if you're like me, but I found myself in ways and in places and I'll, something in my heart will pop up when someone's talking, you know, when Dave Ripper's talking about vainglory. Or last week when Dave Smith was telling this sort of like personal story about sloth and how he's come through that. Like I found myself in these things where I've been flying upside down. I didn't even realize it. But what's funny about this week's sin is that I would say it's particularly sneaky in this regard. It's like particularly insidious that we can be flying upside down for a long period of time and have no idea because it's so pervasive. Like, and if we see it in ourselves and others, we might not even have a problem with it. It's greed. Yeah, if I say greed, I mean, you might think, I'm not greedy. I'm too broke to be greedy. Or like, I can't be greedy. I'm paycheck to paycheck. Or whatever, you know, or I'd be greedy if I didn't have these kids. You know, any number of things, right? Oh, I know somebody, my uncle, my uncle's greedy. We all know somebody who's greedier than us. Does that mean that we aren't greedy? Greed is sort of so, is so pervasive that it's almost like, mm, yeah, it's one of the sins, but it's not that bad. I'll be honest. When we were planning that video you just saw where they take their masks off, and we were talking about, oh, we'll have people have these sins on their mask, and we'll take them off, and we'll have the virtue underneath it. I was like, ooh, uh, not it on lust, right? <laughs> because I, I, I was like, I don't want that one. That one's a little, you know, and, and oh, I don't want anger either. And uh, what, I, what did I do? I started ranking these things. I definitely didn't rank greed at the top. Because we're like, oh, it's, it's fine. And the thing is, greed is this thing that's so closely aligned to the American dream. We're like fish in water. We don't even know we're wet. If there's a big idea for today, if you're going to walk away with one concept, one idea from, from today, let it be this, that greed says mine. 
But stewardship says his. That what's mine is his. Everything that I could possibly have, that, I have that, that God has given me, the relationships, the breath in my lungs, they are his. That greed says mine, but stewardship says his. I think that stewardship isn't this word that we use all too often. It's not our daily nomenclature. And I'm not going to usually say something like stewardship. But, you know, we, you, it appears in the Bible sometimes. We talk about it in church sometimes. It may not be this, this word that you have much context for. There's a story in the Bible that I wanted, to, I wanted to tell you, just real briefly, to kind of define what I mean by stewardship. It's from 2 Kings chapter 6. And it's probably not a, a, a story many of you have heard before. It's actually sandwiched between two much bigger, larger, significant, of international significant stories. Like there's this like world leader who's sick and dying. And then they're, you know, are they going to go to war or not? And it's like, it's this little insignificant kind of quirky story in between bigger, more significant ones. But in it, there's this guy named Elisha. And he's like this renowned prophet. There are these lesser known prophets who want to come and hear from him and learn how to be a prophet like he is and why he does what he does and how he does what he does and how they can have impact for God like he does. So like, Elisha, can we just like sit at your feet? Can we learn from you? Can we learn why you do what you do? And he's like, yeah, sure, that's fine. Like, oh, we're going to like make a little like shed or a little overhang so we don't get rained on while we're learning from you. And he's like, great. Why don't you go down by the Jordan River so that we can, you know, hang out down there and, and I'll talk to you about what God's teaching me and, and then we can all kind of grow in faith together. So they go and they all grab axes, right? They grab an axe and they're like chopping down trees in order to have this lumber, to make this house, this little shed thing so that they can learn from Elisha. This is one, he's unnamed, lesser known prophet, is like cutting down a tree, he's swinging, and in the backswing, the axe head flies off of his axe, and it lands in the water, it lands in the Jordan River, and as axe heads tend to do, it sinks. No more axe head. Now normally, I'd be like, oh man, I don't have an axe anymore. Bummer. I guess I'll just gather wood that you guys cut down. That's not what this guy did though. He freaked out. He lost it. He was like, oh my goodness. Actually, it says in verse 5 of 1 Kings chapter 6, as one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh no, my Lord, he cried out. It was borrowed. Now, that's a kind of a strong reaction. The guy who owned it was probably like, bro, it's fine. I have other axes. It's totally cool. But for him, it was, he was freaking out. And why? Because it wasn't his axe. He was stewarding it for someone else. Like that was someone else's axe and he knew he couldn't return it. Now Elisha comes over and in very Elisha fashion, oh Elisha, he makes it float, you know, and they get it back out of the water. That's what Elisha does. But in those moments, he was freaking out because you know what? Stewardship is a relational thing. The way that you steward something that is something else, someone else's, it says something about the relationship. You ever had somebody borrow something that was yours, a car, a tool, something, clothing, you name it, and they don't take care of it? You're a little offended, right? Why? Because stewardship is a relational thing. You know, one time, so I, I, my in-laws are from Vermont, and my, they all grew up, my wife and her brothers grew up on a dairy farm. 
And uh, my father-in-law is a successful businessman because he's a successful farmer. And a farmer because he's a successful businessman. And uh, so, and when you grow up on a farm, there are certain things that are constant. You know, work is a constant, the chores. And a dairy farm, cows are a constant. And if cows are a constant, then manure is a constant. And <laughs> it's just everywhere. And uh, motors. Motors are everywhere. Right? I mean, you think about it. On a farm, you got tractors, you have spreaders, you have mowers, there are you know, four-wheelers, there are trucks, there are semis that roll through, there's deliveries, you know, there's just motors everywhere. And so these people who grew up, my, my in-laws who grew up on this farm, are very indigenous to motors. They can just hop onto anything and just drive it. And when I'm there, I, you know, I'm like... I got this. I can drive that thing too. It's, it's totally fine. I also am indigenous to motors, but I am not. And so this one time, like I was on a snowmobile in Vermont, and I get up to the farm by my, my brother-in-law Dan's house, and his farm is right next. His house is right next to the farm, and so I took it on the farmland on this trail and came back. And as I'm returning the snowmobile, I'm coming around the house, and you can already see where this is going, right? I mean, everybody knows where this is going. I didn't quite clear the house. And I ran the snowmobile, just, I just clipped it, really, into my brother-in-law Dan's house. At this point, I was concerned for the house. You know, I was concerned for the snowmobile. But I was freaking out inside. Because, you know, this is my brother-in-law, and I was, I was stewarding his snowmobile. It was next to his house. I felt very, very responsible. Why? Because stewardship is ultimately a relational thing. And how you steward says something about the relationship. And what would we say? We said that greed says mine, but stewardship says his. And that everything in our life was a gift by him to us. And how we use what we've been given, it says something about our relationship to God. And it's very, very difficult to be greedy when you think that everything you've been given is from him. Right? Then you're saying, I want you to loan me more things. Let me steward more things. Well, then you're responsible for more things. You have to take care of more things. Because stewardship says, everything I have, every gift I've been given is his. When you, when you speak about greed, though, that's the stewardship part of this thing. When you have to speak about greed, though, you have to understand, I think one of the, one of the clearest ways to understand greed is to look at the way that Jesus talked about it. And what's crazy is 15% of what Jesus said was either about money, dealt with money, or used money to get a, drive a point home. Can you imagine if we here at Crossway talked about money 15% of the time? None of you would be here. <laughs> right? All the church does is talk about money. Yeah, if we talked about money 5% of the time, 10% of the time, like, man, they talk about money too much. And we still wouldn't be as much as Jesus talked about money, about stuff about the way our hearts interact with our stuff. But 15% of the time, Jesus talked about money. And this one time in Luke chapter 12, you have Bibles, you can turn there, you can look on your phone, it's going to be on the screen. If you're driving, please keep two eyes on the road and just listen, I'll take my word for it. But it's in Luke chapter 12, and we're going to be in verses 13 through 20. And it's this moment when Jesus is walking through a town and people are crowding around him and, one, and this one person calls out to him this question that at first seems innocent and feels, it seems like innocuous. Like, there's, oh, there's no problem with that question. But then Jesus kind of like responds strongly and you kind of got to like figure out your way of what's going on here. But let's start with verse 13. 
And in, in, in Luke 12, verse 13, says this. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. There's something going on here. There's some sort of like relational thing happening between this guy and his brother. We don't know what it is, but he's got a bone to pick. And actually, Levitical law, in the book of Deuteronomy, it says that a firstborn is entitled to two th- a double portion of the inheritance and that everyone younger gets like one portion. So if there's two people, the oldest gets two thirds, the younger gets one third. If there's three kids, you know, half, fourth, fourth, so on and so on. And so there's a very good chance this nameless person in the crowd, someone in the crowd, had a point. They're like, Jesus, my brother is being a total jerk. Would you do something about this for me? And then look how Jesus responds. Jesus responds to the man in verse 14. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? He's just like, he's just like, man, like, I, I wish, like, I, you know, I know he probably said it like that, but I wish it was like, man, who appointed me? Like, sort of like this, what are you talking about? But I'm sure he was like, man, who appointed me to be judge or arbiter? And so it's just, he's, he's like this rhetorical question that he poses to the guy who asked it. But then the next verse, he's immediately moved on from the guy and he's speaking to the entire crowd. He says he spoke to them next. And it says in verse 15, then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. This is some serious shade, by the way. <laughs> Did you catch that? Like, like Jesus, he speaks to the guy and then he's, he kind of shuts him down and he says, just so you can know, everyone who's around, be on guard for greed. If I'm the guy, I'm, like, I'm feeling like I'm this tall, right? <laughs> because he just called me greedy in front of all these people. And, so, and it feels a little bit like Jesus uses a hammer on it to swat a fly, Right? I mean, this guy, he just asked him a legitimate question and he didn't have time for that. That's fine. Why did Jesus do this? Think about it this way. This is probably the only time this guy was going to speak to Jesus. This is it. This is the whole list of times. And he's speaking to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. This one who's been prophesied about for centuries. The creator and sustainer of the world. The, the only begotten son of God. And in this moment, this moment of truth, this moment when he could ask him anything, he could, he, any, the whole world is his oyster. He could approach Jesus and ask him anything. And I want to ask you, if you could ask Jesus anything and he, you knew he would answer, what would you ask him? Would you say, Jesus, my older brother's a jerk. Would you take care of that for me? Probably not, Right? I mean, there's probably something larger you could talk to Jesus about. This is where you see that this isn't just some guy with this issue. Like, oh, this, he's frustrated with his brother. This is a man who is flying upside down. Right? He gets this one shot to doc, talk to Jesus. And he's asking about the money his older brother owes him. You realize that there's so much more here. And actually, Jesus says the word greed in this. He says, man, watch out for greed. But the word greed is this, word, is this combination of two words, pleon and exo. Pleon means numerical, countable, more. It's in like, so I can't say that I am, 
I have more feelings than I did yesterday because you can't count those. If I said I have more books than yesterday, you can count those. That's a measurable more. So pleon is measurably more and exo is to have. And so greed here, the way that Jesus says this, he says, be on guard for all kinds of desires to have more. If I'd asked you what, how you would define greed, it might have been a bit more damaging than that, right? Like, oh, to, have, to want to have more. To wish you had more than you have. Because that is sort of the American, and that's the American way, right? To wish that you had more than you have. I mean, that, that's, if that is the definition of greed, then how many of us could be flying upside down? But greed is funny because greed has multiple faces to it. See, greed can be, oh, I don't, I don't have enough money. And that could be someone who has a lot of money or has very, very little. Is living paycheck to paycheck. Who just desperately wants, thinks about life is wrapped around having more money. This is someone who loves money too much. But greed can also be, and that's like, there's a story of the rich young ruler, someone who approaches Jesus and says, I want to follow you. And, and Jesus is like, great, give money to the poor. And, he, and he's not willing. That's someone who loves money too much. But also someone who loves money too little who wants measurably more stuff. And it's like someone who has money and it burns a hole in their pocket. They, they, they spend as much money as they have and more so. It's constantly buying. This is the person who's like, you know, hiding Amazon boxes from their spouse and that kind of thing. I, I've never heard of such a thing. I've just made that up. I don't know who would do that. But this is, right, this is someone who is, has money burning a hole in their pocket. It's just the spend and spend and spend. It's like the prodigal son. Someone who goes away, has a lot of money and just lives riotously. Well, they love and honor money too little. They just give it away, spend it, instead of stewarding it as something God has given them. And so greed can be both, I am miserly, I barely get by, and I just desire and wish I had more money constantly. Or it can be, I have lots of money and I wish I had more. Or it can be, I have money and I spend money and I spend more money than I have. And it's, 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 it, is, it is not just one thing. It is not just like a, a wealthy person's challenge. And so then Jesus continues to speak to the whole crowd and he tells them a parable. And we're going to begin reading that parable. Jesus tells the crowd a parable starting in verse 16. He says this. He says, and he told them a parable. The ground of a, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he, the rich man, thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to, score, to store my crops. Right? This is, oh, that's how rich people talk. I don't, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> what shall I do with all my gold? Anyway, uh, <laughs> I digress. And so he thought to himself, like, man, I have all this, this stuff. I have all, what am I going to do with it? Like, I don't have anywhere to, to, to keep all of this stuff. And this guy in this parable. And so in verse 18, we're going to keep reading. Then he said, this man, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. This is the guy's plan. This is whole plan. Man, I got so much stuff. And he, was, he thought about it. And he thought about it. I have so much stuff. What am I going to do with all my stuff? I have this real problem. I have too much stuff. What am I going to do about it? I have it. I'm going to build, I have big barns, I'm going to build bigger barns, and then I get to keep all my stuff. What's funny is the word thought there. 
Back in the Ephesians, the Resilience series, I actually talked about a very similar word, which is logizomai, which means to think. Think on these things. And this is a very similar think as in this passage, but, it, but it's, uh, it's deologizomai, or deologizomai. And that, and that prefix means that it's like this present tense and that it's, it, it intensifies thinking. And so he didn't just think about it. He was like, hmm, what am I going to do with all my stuff? But he thought about it intensely. And he thought about it constantly. And his life kind of became, what am I going to do with all my stuff? And he thinks, and he thinks, and he thinks. And he thinks, and he thinks, and he thinks. I got so much stuff. This is so great. And what you, you catch the beginning part of that, though. The, the, it's, it called him a certain rich man. This is not someone who is just barely getting by. It's not someone who, you know, is, is trying to figure out how to have a farm. It's just someone who's already rich. And then he had a windfall of more funds. You know, I, I referenced my in-law's farm Whenever I'm there, I check in with my father-in-law. Hey, how's the farm? You know, how's the price of milk? How are things going? Because, you know, I'm interested in how that's going and what's happening there. And ultimately what happens is he'll tell me, oh, the price of milk is real high. The price of milk is real low. Or it's fine. It's somewhere in the middle. But inevitably, when the price of milk is high, they make more money. And when the price of milk is low, they lose money. And most of the time, it usually balances out like that. And to store up, you know, funds when you price of milk is high, it's not greed necessarily. It's not this. That is like how farms stay in business. This guy is doing something else. He was already wildly wealthy, and he, he could only think about himself. You, did you catch that? I will tear down my barns, and I will store up surplus grain, and I'll say to myself, self You've got it made. Right? He's like, eat, drink, and be merry. What's funny is this is the exact line of thought that many of us shoot for with our, for entire lives. The sum total of our lives is work, accumulate, accumulate stuff, ensure that stuff so it's well taken care of, and if it goes away, we get it replaced. And then sell that stuff, have nicer stuff, more stuff, set away, have surplus, and then one day, live forever on a beach. The end. For many people, that's like life goal stuff. And so this, this thing, this story, in some ways, you're like, man, jealous. But that was the sum total of his life. That's what he lived Four. And then God responds to him in verse 20. He says, but God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? The word demanded there is actually, it's a financial term for when a loan comes due. Remember talking about stewardship is like using someone else's stuff that you loan something and it's time to give it back. That's that word demanded here. Stewardship is baked into this. But what God's saying here is not the money or the farm, the crops, the barns. Your very life is a loan. And this, for this man in this parable, God said the loan is called. Which means that your very life is a gift and every breath is a gift. <sighs> gift. <sighs> gift. 
You ever thought about that? Every moment, every day is a gift. I remember when we had our first child biologically and the, they put that stuff on my wife's belly, you know, the little clear jelly stuff. And you put this, and you put this little like, I don't know what it is, you know, ultrasound, uh, I don't know, on her belly. And then uh, what looks to be an amoeba appears on the screen. I don't know what that was, but it ended up being my daughter and she's beautiful now, but back then it was. And, uh, and then you hear this thing. Doom, doom. Doom, doom. And your whole world changes, right? And you're rooting for every beat. I've had a little hard been beating this whole time, but now you're cognizant of it. And every single beat you're grateful for. And the space between the beats feels like it takes 30 years. Doom, doom. What if we viewed life, the gift of life, everything about it, everything we own, every beat of our heart as a gift that we were stewarding from God? How impossible would greed be if that's how we viewed our lives? It'd be impossible. See, greed isn't a money problem. It's a perspective problem. It's a heart problem. Do I view what God has given me as just that, a gift that I am stewarding? Or is it mine? Greed says mine. Stewardship says his. You know what? I've been a little hard on us, right? Like I've been a little mean to all of us because I you know you, can't, you, want, you want to come on here and you want to be built up, not beat up. And I've been beating us up a little bit. I'll be honest because I've kind of made it seem like all of us all the time are greedy. And that's not really fair. And that's actually not what the scripture says. We're going to get there in a second. You know, it's, you know, greed is wanting to have numerically more. As I stand here right now in front of you, I want a mountain bike. It's true. I used to have one. I don't have one. I want one in the future because I want to ride mountain bikes with my son. That sounds like so much fun. He has one. I don't have one. That sounds like fun. So because I want something I don't currently have, does that make me inherently greedy? I don't think so. But, it, you know, he said greed is wanting numerically more. But if you look at the last verse of this section in Luke 12, verse 21, let's parse this out a little bit. It says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. See, greed isn't just wanting more. It is wanting more for me. It's all about me and what I want. And it's not about what God's glory for his name. See, what, see, the reality of life is that everything you have, every breath you take, every beat of your heart is from him. It is by him. It would be, be impossible without him. And it, we were given it for him. But we lose sight of that. It becomes part of us, our motivation, our glory. And he says, you can have these things. Like I know wealthy people who are rich towards the Lord, right? And I know people who God has just given them the gift of being wealthy and they make money constantly. I'm like, I wish I could have some of that God, but he hasn't given it to me yet. But I know people like that. And they give away money as fast as they get it. Like they're generous to their church and they're generous to ministries and to people who have needs and they're just rich towards the Lord. The other day I took my daughter out on a little daddy-daughter date, Macy, my youngest. She doesn't have any teeth right now, so she, you know, it's, it's cute, kind of. And uh, <laughs> we had ice cream for lunch. 
And then we went out to Target, and I bought her this, like, it's like a hipster hat. It's like a rancher hat. You've seen these things? Young people wear them. It's like wide brims, and they look cool, but uh, past a certain age, you're, like, trying too hard. It was one of these things, right? And my, my daughter put it on her head at the store, and it was the cutest thing you've ever seen. And so I was like, oh, my goodness, we are definitely buying you this hat right now, right? And so we bought the hat and some other stuff. And then she put it on. I just took the tag off it, and we paid for it that way. It was already on her head, and it wasn't coming off. And as we're walking out of Target, this woman in this, like, large SUV stops next to her, and she says, look at you, little fashionista, gorge. And she, like, floated the rest of the way to the car, right? It was like we were on a runway, and she was looking over her shoulder and snapping pictures, right? It was her in all of her glory, if that moment cost me a million dollars, I would have done it. Okay, probably not. But a lot of money. More than the hat cost. Why? Because, man, if it's me having stuff or her having stuff, I'm going to choose her every time. Like, if I can do anything, you know, if it was my life or hers, I mean, I would give mine up for her, hands down, no questions asked, in the moment. Why? Because I'm rich towards Macy. I'm rich towards her old sister Harper and her brother Kemley and her mom because, you know, my life kind of aims at, gears toward, revolves around them. You know, outside of my faith in Jesus, my role as husband and father, like that's what my life is about. So I am rich towards them. I want to spoil them. I want them to feel so loved that, 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 that it defines them because I am rich towards them. Are you in the same way rich towards God? That whatever it is, whatever he wants, whatever he wants to do with your life, you just say, yeah, 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 take it, take it, take it. You want me to do that? Yeah, yeah, take, 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 take that. I can't have that anymore. That's fine. Take it, take it, take it. You want me to use my money for you? Yeah, yeah, great, great, great. Support this ministry? Yeah, yeah. Support the church? Great, 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 great. Yes, yes, take it, take it. Why? Because you're rich towards God. It's not about having stuff. Ultimately, it's not really about wanting stuff. It's about the nature of your heart. And, it, and are you willing to say, God, whatever it is, yes, have it. You see what happens? You say, God, whatever I have, whatever I, it's from you anyway. Take it back. Yes, use it. Whatever you want to do, do it. And then he's like, no, 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 I want you to have it. He's like, no, no, you take it. This is what this is. The man in the parable, he only had half that. He said, yes, yes. Oh, great, wonderful things. Great things. Wonderful. But he didn't have the, God, whatever this is, you have it. He didn't allow God to give it back to him and bless him and grace him with so much. It was like, yes, mine. So where have you found yourself in this? You know, where have you found yourself in the story that Jesus tells? Are you someone who is rich towards God? Or do you say mine with your stuff? Are you someone who is flying upside down? in this regard. I was talking to a friend of mine recently, and this is a guy who was in the Navy. And he told me a story about his Navy training. He was a pilot and a gunner. Actually, he's a friend of mine, a mentor of mine, a guy named Shan Woods, a pastor in Massachusetts. And he was telling me about how when he was training for the Navy, that there was this part where he would have to, uh, in his training, swim to the bottom of a pool. And he's almost out of breath. People would come down there and they would like, you know, punch him and kick him and stuff. And, and, they would, and the goal of this was to spatially disorient him. And I was talking about this thing that people do. He's like, oh yeah, I did that. I had that. I was like, oh my goodness. And he's like, but you know what? You know what's true about that? 
is there are people all around the pool and they're like watching you. See, what happens is you go down there, you're almost out of breath, they start punching you, you're just spatially disoriented and then you don't know which way, you literally don't know which way is up and you might, in that moment when you desperately need air, swim down deeper or you might swim up or you might swim sideways. You don't know which way is up and they're trying to make you so you don't panic underwater but there's people inside of the pool who their whole job is to jump down and rescue you and save you just in case that you, you begin to swim down. You're swimming down and not up. You're swimming towards destru- destruction and not life. Everything we do, everything we, we talk about, we want to anchor it to a practice. If in this time, you know, you found yourself in this regard, someone who says mine and not his, the practice I want to ask you to do this week is share that with someone. Someone in your group, someone in your life, a friend, a mentor, accountability partner, a spouse. Say, man, this really kind of struck me. I'm a little greedy in some of these ways. Maybe I love money too much. Maybe I honor money too little. You know, this, I don't steward my time. Whatever this is for you, I don't know. Allow someone to be that person on the side of the pool for you who, when you swim down, jumps in and says, no, no, this way, this way, swim this way. Because if you invite people in to your life in meaningful ways, they are like that person. And that doesn't be this. It could be last week with sloth or vainglory or any one of these things. Find someone in your life. Prayerfully consider, man, how's your heart doing in this regard? Are you as rich towards the Lord as possible? And invite someone into that journey with you. Greed says mine, but stewardship says his. What's mine is his. Let's close in prayer. God, I thank you for these passages. You know, at times we find themselves in them. They're so human. Like you read these stories and you read these passages and it, it feels like actual humans who are, you know, <laughs> losing axe heads and asking the wrong thing and kind of getting, you know, <laughs> smacked down a little bit. And so because of that, we find ourselves in them. And I don't want to take that for granted, God, that, that these were real things and real people who had real challenges and you invite us to walk in them and, and, to, and to begin to practice your way through them. And so I, I thank you so much for the way that you deal with us gracefully graciously. You know, this is just one of the sins we've been talking through. And, and, and honestly, God, this, this whole talk is geared around how when I looked at these passages, they challenged me. So maybe it's just me. But there's a chance it's not just me. That, that this, you don't allow these sins, these challenges, these, indest- these destructive habits in our lives, God, to define us, but you give us grace and you love us and you call us beloved. And so I thank you for that. As we go about our lives, God, in, in this week and, you know, in coming weeks, in the coming weeks of the series, as we look back at the previous weeks, give us clarity of thought and you know, let your spirit speak into our lives and our hearts, uh, you know, showing us the way and showing us who you'd have us to be and give us the courage to invite someone into our process so that they can be like that person inside of the pool. Say, no, 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 swim up. You're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. God, we thank you so much for your word, for your son, and for the way that you love us. In your precious name, amen.